Welcome to the Oxcala Podcast by University of Oxford South Asian Art Society. This is your host, Shishir Rao. This is episode 10, Khayal in Perspective. Today we have with us Dr. Arun Dravid. Dr. Arun Dravid, or Arunji, is a senior exponent of the Jaipur Atroli Gharana. He began his early training under the tutelage of Abdul Majid Khan Saib, a disciple of the great Ustad Aladiya Khan Saib, and later became the first formal disciple of Srimati Kishori Amankurji. Arunji's music is a balance of the bhava dominant nature of his guru's music with the structural beauty that is characteristic of the Jaipur Atroli Gharana. He's also engaged in imparting his wisdom of the Gharana's Gaiki as well as his own to the next generation. Recently, Dr. Dravid has also acted and sung in the film The Disciple, now streaming on Netflix. Thank you so much for joining us today, Arunji. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you here with us on behalf of the Oxcala podcast series. Let's, uh, let's begin with the topic of rag and rag grammar. Um, in many presentations of, uh, that uh, you have conducted based on your music and Kishoriji's music, uh, you discuss the idea of how one should present the raga, yes, and present the, the, the beauty within the raga, yes, but how specifically Kishoriji sometimes, at times, used to take liberties with the actual strict regulations, the grammar of the raga, uh, whilst presenting these ragas. And you have said that she took liberties where she found beauty. Kishoriji found beauty in particular places. Um, and even though they might not be in strictest adherence to the Ra grammar, she went along the way and explored those phrases, explored those rastas. How do we stay within some version of the Raga, but still exercise liberties? Or is there a, and is there a bad way of exercising liberties, maybe? Well, it's a, it's quite a detailed and uh, long question. Uh, I will begin by saying that there is really no universal definition of the purity of a rag. Uh, if you if you strictly go by musicological books uh, or or let's say past discourses, you will find a given uh, theoretical uh, structure of a rag in a, in a, in a book, like Bhatkande's books, for example. You will find the Aroha, the Avroha, the Chalan, the Vadiswar, Samvadiswar, etc. Mm. Now, that's just, a, that's just a technical description of the basic structure of the rag. But you will find that between the different gharanas or schools of music that we have evolved over time, um, there are differences for a given raga of presenting its structure, hmm. the nuances that the doyans and the founders of every gharana might have conceived through their own artistic expressions, so I call these inter-gharana differences of a given rag. And then I devise another term called intra-gharana differences. 
which means that in a given gharana, in a given school of music, you do find amongst the uh, exponents of that particular gharana, mm. uh, slight variations in their interpretations of that same given rag. Mm. So there is a, a rather variety, a large uh, variety of uh, ways in which you will find, uh, shall I say, subtle differences in presenting a given rag. Since we are talking of purity of the rag, now, um, first of all, let me say that an artistic expression of the personality of that artist or the approach of that artist to creation of art, these are very fundamental to the, to the creation of art. Hmm. After all, art is not a robotic presentation of a standard set of rules or techniques of what we call a rag. Yes. If it becomes a robotic presentation, then it'll become a carbon copy between artists, pretty much, uh, and it will lose its charm. Mm. By the very definition of art, and this, this is for any art form, uh, performing art particularly, mm. such as music, dance, uh, and what have you. Now, not so much for non-performing arts like painting, sculpture, etc. But in performing arts, as far as we can see, in Indian music particularly, the whole soul of Indian music is, is improvisation. Huh. Yeah. See, there are, there are no written scores to blindly sing or play follow, uh, as there is in, in Western music, particularly Western classical music. You, you leave aside ex examples like uh, jazz music or rock and pop, where there is just a tremendous artistic freedom that, that is exercised. But in classical music, uh, the composers that have composed a certain symphony or a certain piece of melody, and that is quickly followed note by note, phrase by phrase. And th that is the way Western system of music works. Not so in our system. So, so basically, a presentation of a rag and the definition of its purity, while it starts from, a, a, let's say, purities as described in a, in a treatise, and I simply call them a very, very basic grammar of music. Starting from that, then there is considerable artistic expression which reflects the personality of the artist, the uh, attitude towards the goal of an artist in creating that art form. And since you took the example of Kishorita, my guru, she uh, oftentimes got criticized of being too rebellious or, or or let's say too much of a maverick um, in giving form to her own creation of art. And uh, as in any art form, there are critics and there are purists and there are non-purists yes. uh, while appreciating art is concerned. 
So to a purist who goes purely by the musicological definition of a rag, hmm. such uh, freedom exercised in the pursuit of uh, beauty of, as an art form is sometimes difficult to, or a little too unpalatable. Um, but on the other hand, there is a, a, a perhaps a, a larger audience uh, who is looking for the creation of beauty in art. And as that's that beauty appeals to that the, the audience or the listener, it's enchanting. Sure, in the process, you may have broken a written rule or a fundamental rule of the of the grammar of the rock. Huh. But so long as such breaking of the of the grammar is not rampant, is not indiscriminately uh, practiced during the entire presentation of the khayal, huh. if those nuances which are somewhat out of line with uh, the uh, structured grammar of the rag hmm. are kept at a minimum hmm. simply to give a little bit of a, uh, shall I say, a mini shock to the listener. Yeah. Say, oh, this is this is out of the box. But it's very nice. I felt very happy listening to it. It's not quite out inside the boxes. So it is the out, out of the box creation, out of the box thinking. But then there is a judicious demarcation between how far you go with that artistic freedom. And if you begin to go too far into such, such violations of the basic grammar, then certainly you are beginning to destroy the, the, the basic feel of the rag, which should not happen. Okay, that's a, that's, I, like, I like how you've now delineated um, a way that one can be, uh, one can take liberties with the rag grammar. Uh, uh, but not destroy the rag. As in, you said, uh, it has to be a judicious uh, way that one uh, leaves the rag. It cannot be rampant. It, it, it's, it's you, the, the technique when one goes out of the rag is used as a, as, as, you know, as a one-off or a two-off, as opposed to uh, filling the entire performance of the rag with just these uh, uh, pats yeah. out of the raga grammar. Is there a moment where, you know, in the moment, um, you or Kishori Tai or any other music musician who takes liberties with the rag finds it palatable, but then after the fact, one removes themselves from the situation, perhaps after the performance, and then they think in retrospect, ah, I should not have done that. I, I don't know where I took that raga. I don't, I don't know the path. I don't know where I took it. It, it did not go. It, at the moment, it sounded nice, but right now, thinking back, it doesn't. I don't feel like I like what I did. Is, 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 is does that mean that? one should not have taken that? Or does that just mean that music, the improvisational structure of music, which is our music, is at once judged in the moment and after the fact? Uh, well, I think uh, the point you are uh, raising is a, is a well taken point. And uh, in fact, there, there, are, uh, there are two aspects of this. One is a, uh, a thought out uh, deviation from the basic grammar of, of the art. And second is an impromptu on the spot, just just happening uh, as if yeah. uh, uh, deviation from the basic grammar. 
And both kinds have happened in, uh, I'm giving you the example again of Kishori Thai's uh, performances. Both types of deviation have happened and always happen. And the first deviation, as I said, is, is well thought of and well reasoned out deviation. Oh. Uh, is, uh, is something which she, she had uh, conceived of and she had experimented with in practice times um, and found to be exciting, to be uh, giving a, a very nice, quick, different phrase flavor to the drug. And she said, and not only that, but in uh, sometimes in, in concert uh, performances, when she sang that drug, uh, and, and did that deviation in one or two of these occasions I even remember and it's on, on, on the tapes that have been recorded. Yeah. So she would suddenly stop and, work, and verbally explain why that deviation she has made and, and give a justification for the deviation. And an example of this is the application of the rag, of the surpa, the pancham in the Aroha, in the ascent of Bhageshri. Oh, please, could you please give a demonstration of this? I'm very curious. It's uh, it's, it's very hard for me uh, to, to give you an exact demonstration, but I'm trying, just a glimpse of it. Which is which is in grammar not allowed. Yeah. But she had oftentimes deviated, and uh, of course she would do that in a much more polished manner than I have just demonstrated. And uh, uh, but anyway, but it's a, it's just a small one example of many, and there are many other examples. So that's a uh, it's a determined deviation. Now, there have been occasions where, uh, see, a maverick mind, or, or let's say a very, very brilliant, what we call Pratibhavanta mind of an artist, sometimes the, the brilliance is so overflowing during the performance, as if, and the artist goes into a trance of some kind in exploring. In that, sometimes uh, the he or she drifts into, into a, a, let's say, quote unquote, unacceptable grammatical phrases for that. 
Uh, and then after the performance is over, and by the way, while that performance is going on, the, the involvement of the mood and the artist's own whole and soul in, in that rock is so intense that neither the artist nor the audience has even noticed that something ungrammatical has happened. But it's just been very beautiful. So that's the second kind. And that happens in, in many, you know, let's say, accomplished artists. And that used to happen, happen in her case. And she and I had a, a, a longstanding <clears throat> little private rule. And because I oftentimes, in the early career of hers, I used to accompany her on the Tanpura sitting behind her in a, in a concert. So she would tell me that if I noticed anything which was kind of drifting away from the grammar, Keep that in mind, and when we come home, tell me what, about it. Mm. And so she gave me that liberty, and she insisted that I helped her in that manner. And I used to then have a discussion with her, <clears throat> and then this, this, these were on tape. So I said, we'll, we'll play the tape, and you see it for yourself. Now, this, this is a place where, where you've done something which normally you wouldn't do. And then she would, she would have the, the very large mind to say, absolutely, you're right. I don't know how I drifted like that. I must not do it next time. So it's just an example of, of uh, how an unintentional or unplanned deviation can happen in a rag exploration and in the pursuit of beautiful phrases that crowd your mind one after the other and, and you yeah. slip up. Can, can one now say those deviations that she had in, in the trans state that she was in is elevated art, is actually next level art. Instead of criticizing it, should we actually encourage that? Of course, of course, I completely agree that instead of criticizing it, it should be accepted as a flash of brilliance in in the creation of that uh, that mood of that rag, and uh, and there could be many flashes of such, flashes of such brilliance uh, coming almost like you know fireworks uh, in, in in the performance. And certainly, one would uh, one would laud that, one would applaud that, uh, as the as the uh, hallmark of a, of a really really high quality performance, high quality art creation. Yeah. So I'm not the one who would uh, stand up and criticize this. Be and this is what sometimes has happened, and she has has received criticism from ultra purists of Hindustani music to say, how can, how can she destroy a rag like that? She, it's not right, etc. I mean, and she didn't care. She didn't care. She said, I'm here to perceive art as I do. And I'm here to give expression to the aesthetics as I perceive in my art. Exactly. And if someone is not in line with it, so be it. It doesn't matter to me. That's, that's that's a position of strength, first of all. But yeah. also, when it's coming from a genius like Kishoritai, yes, I, I I would agree. Actually, now moving on to now now that we've spoken a little bit about how how there is a a more appropriate way that one can take liberties with the rag and and ex expand upon the rag, I'm also curious about the idea of um, of of poetry and raga, which is the composition, which is our kayal, right? And I have some questions really about, um, I, I have some curiosities really about the place of poetry in Arkayal. Uh, 
And the first big question we have, and I'm sure, I'm sure, and, and I, you've you've discussed this in your presentations as well, is that in the 21st century, we have now access to compositions which have been made many centuries before in some cases, and some more recently. And sometimes the composition is more relevant to um, us in the 21st century in one dimension, as time being the 21st century, but another dimension. Um, I'm of you know 26, 25, 20 to 30 years of age, and some compositions bear different relevance to me than it does to someone else, such as yourself, such as to someone younger, such as someone older. Yes. Um, the, the question now comes down to if I and 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 how you presented in your in your um, in your presentations is we must have an understanding, a comprehension of the composition, of the meaning of the composition, and try to elicit. The, the movements of this meaning through singing, through demonstration, through explication of the raga. Um, if I find no connection to the composition, for example, uh, references to sas, for example, like these kind of things, which I have no re no reference point to communicate with, to understand, then how do I present these compositions is the first part of the question, I guess. And the second is, should we move away from this? Or should is this is this liberty to move uh, for myself specifically to move away and compose something new um, is the second part of that question. Well, I think your point is well taken uh, that compositions which have been made 100, 200 years ago or more do lose relevance in the present uh, social structure that we live in. Um, for example, since you gave this little example of Sastana Nadia, now, and there are there are many compositions involving the the shall I say the the tensions between the in-laws and the younger generation, particularly the mother-in-law, the sister-in-law, how they torture me, and this and that. Okay, now in today's day and age, I mean that was that was perhaps a theme which 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 found in lyrics and poetry expression to a very, very severe tension that used to prevail in those days. And we're talking about 100 years ago when uh, <clears throat> the traditional arranged marriage system where the bride never even knew the bridegroom got married, got into a house, and then there was this social turmoil and, and a friction between families. That oftentimes got... Uh, that emotion reflected oftentimes in these compositions of that time. And they don't, today, don't sound any <laughs> relevant. Uh, yes, that's, that's one thing. The second thing I would also say that apart from such specific themes which might be out of date today, hmm. uh, there are bandishes in our whole, you know, thousands of bandishes in ragas between different ranas. And quite a large number of them have words which today sound meaningless. I mean, one, one tries to find the meaning of this line, the meaning of these words, and you're, you're completely stumped. Now, this is the way my guru has taught me this bandish, and this is the way he sang, and this is the way I'm singing. But if you ask me, what's the meaning of this line that you, you're saying? I don't know. And doesn't... I've tried to find sense in it, but I just couldn't. So there are examples of such bandishes also. 
uh, and one of the causes of such, such a thing happening is because when these bandishes in the very old days, uh, let's say 200, 150, 100 years ago, what passed on from mm. one guru to his disciple and that disciple to his disciple or her disciple and so on. Uh, and, and, and some of these they prevented people from writing those down. They had to be simply heard and memorized, heard and memorized. In the process of hearing, memorizing and passing on in the same way to the next generation and the next, they, they became distorted. I mean, it sounded like that's what he sang and therefore I'm going to sing that. And in the process, uh, Naturally. So yeah. this happened. So uh, many of Bandishas today have lost their, uh, the clear, uh, let's say the original, very original word that might have been there has been distorted completely and it becomes now meaningless. So that's the second problem. But then there are enough number of genuinely old but yet decipherable good bandishes. And that is where this principle of the mood of the bandish, the, poem, the poetry part of it, uh, the composer's emotion that is reflected in the in the poetry that is and then then effort to to bring that that poetry into the mood of the rag you're singing whether it is bhakti ras shringar ras shanti ras or whatever veera ras whichever mood there is um, and then the bandish that is kind of projecting that mood uh. This is where I think uh, Kishori Tai paid a lot of attention uh, while singing a bandish. She didn't sing it robotically. Just the words are there and words really are, 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 shall I say, just a little walking stick. You don't really need to lean too much on them. Um, the, the development of the rag itself is a huge thing. And a mukhda sung after every avartan or every two avartans is by the way. Hmm. No, she took a she, she took a, the meaning of the bandish very seriously and she made an effort to project those emotions into the emotions of the rag. So that's the third kind of bandishes. And yes. the second part of your question was that if you find that there is no relevance left to the bandish that you are singing today, then should it should, should you not write your own? Should you not compose your own bandish? And yes, the answer is yes. Kishorita did a lot of those herself. She, she composed her mother, Mogubai, composed many bandishes herself. And, uh, and so on. And I'm sure in other gharanas, uh, other uh, very prominent big singers that have gone by had also created a lot of good bandishes, including today's modern generation. Uh, I, I find so many good, very good musicians. Ashwini Bide is an example I'll give you. She's published two books on her own bandish compositions. So I think I think that is a, a very uh, essential part of the uh, evolution of music over time. That you don't you don't stay confined to to what now begins to happen is is old, obscure unintelligible bandishes and, and keep on singing those instead. Create some new ones uh, which have expression to your own emotion, expression to the emotion of the rag and, and some good, nice sounding theme to it. Good poetry. Good okay. Poetry.
No, that's a, I think, thank you for ad addressing both parts of the question so eloquently, Arunji. Um, as a, a as a addition to that question, I think, um, I understand Kishoriji um, and yourself pay so close attention to rendition of the Raga through the Bandesh. Can there ever be exposition of Raga by itself for Hindustani music? I know examples of this, just, just, to, just to elucidate my point. Agra Garana, for example, does very long form alaps. Of course, Drupad also does long form alaps. And the, the, the bandish or the composition, the pad, comes as an afterthought to the exposition of the raga. Um, I'm curious um, if, if our music, Kayal specifically, and uh, 21st century Kayal specifically, can take a turn towards this. And are there benefits to uh, looking at raga just as, as, a, as a concept of its own? Or are there are there drawbacks? And I'm I'm curious, what are your views on this method of in, uh, ex, explicating the raga? Please. I believe uh, that Drupad, of course, being the older form of uh, classical Hindustani music uh, than the Kayal, um, and it is a very traditional uh, thing in in Drupad, particularly, to have long long time period in which you simply explore the rag through the nom tom alaps. Mm -hmm. Now, question is why nom tom? Why not just a plain shuddha akar all the way during that time? Now, if my, I'm just guessing, I'm just speculating that if you simply did a, a pure shuddha ah and spend half an hour, 45 minutes over the entire octave, uh, or let's say two octaves, uh, make, making a, a long, a prolonged development of the rag alap itself, it would begin to sound rather monotonous. So to give it a little, little, uh, shall I say, uh, to break the monotony, I believe this nomtom must have been created somehow. This is my my guess. I'm not a Drupad expert, and perhaps we should raise this with with current day Drupal experts as to what is the place of nomtom in this ala? Why? Uh, but that's one thing. Going beyond that, I take the view that whether it is Drupal, and by the way, uh, Agra Gharana being one of our older Gharanas, um, the Agra Gharana singers, at least of the, of the past generation, you will find also doing this. Uh, spending a long time over simply nomtom type of an alap, exploring the developing the whole, and then completing that segment, and then going to the next segment where they would do the bandish. I'm a little bit concerned that when you did that, uh, you you uh, you inevitably would repeat a lot of the nomtom alap pieces or phrases again after starting the bandish and as a part of developing the bandish singing the bandish so there is an element of repetition and if the repetition then becomes simply prolonging it beyond let's say a, a normal tolerance level of a normal listener uh, then that becomes counterproductive okay i i like i like what you just said about repetition like there's and and also the, the the need for nom tom when nom tom did arise. I feel like these are functional explanations to to these to these concepts of Drupad and Kaya. So so when we do long form alap and we we are done with this long form alap, 
if if that were the way we are presenting the dog. Uh, and then we are doing the uh, the bandish, whatever uh, kayal or pud or whatever mm-hmm. uh, way of ex- uh, of uh, exploring poetry. And there's repetition. It begs the question: um, Why why don't people just sing alap and just stop the concert? Right or sing alap and noam tum just stop. Why isn't why I I know perhaps this is a quote unquote boring music. What I mean by that is I feel the performative elements of our shastriya sangeet involve um, uh, making ourselves happy as musicians in addition yeah. to satisfying the need of something of the audience, right? And maybe the audience requires some explication upon poetry. Uh, and and that, that's just my uh, going back to the functional idea of how things come about, right? As you were saying. Uh, I feel like poetry is necessary, but why? But my question is still: Why can't we? Why isn't there a music which is less repetitive and just alap or just nom tom or something like that? Please. Well, I think um, you have to again go to the very fundamental uh, way in which music is conceived. Rhythm is an integral part of any music. It's not just the alap and the sur. but there is also uh, almost an equal place to rhythm yes now uh, in the long exposition of uh, rag through nomtom alap there is hardly any uh, any opportunity of combining it with rhythm in music hmm. okay. interesting although one would say that the uh, the drupad singers and to, to a large extent the the alap alap that goes in the beginning of a sitar or a sarod or musical instruments uh, you will find that there is relatively relatively less reference to any rhythmic structures there it's it's pure and simple alap without any rhythm to it so how do we then bring in the rhythmic element yeah. but then then that's i'm just saying that that could be one of the reasons why that okay enough of alap now i can need to bring in something to sing with the taal something to uh, in, in, interweave the notes yes. with the rhythm and therefore that was an opportunity and how do you how do you uh, produce the rhythm uh, and uh, again give a little variation so then you compose a little poetry piece and then bandish and sing it to the accompaniment of either a pakwaj or a uh tabla uh, and throw in that as a as a next segment in in the presentation of the whole rag so that could be it um but then uh, i take the view that then in that case the repetition happens of the the tonal aspects yeah. just to bring in tabla or the rhythmic bringing the rhythm you are repeating the ala part of it okay uh now you could also argue that without even singing the poetry part of it simply with nom tom you could just sing a tarana for example that that was that was the point i was coming to yes please why do you need a bandish you, you could just end your alap nom tom alap with a 10 minute piece of tarana ha ah, da 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 din din na 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 da yes. tom yes. tom ha aise yes. set to make taal teen taal whatever taal you want to choose. and sing it for 10 15 minutes so there you have brought brought in the rhythm without ah. without essentially introducing poetry oh yes uh that could be a new new uh, form of uh, <laughs> evolution we haven't yet seen that happen yet who knows 
maybe your generation should, should experiment with that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry for forcing your hand with that question there, <laughs> but uh, I think, uh, and, and ultimately you got to the point where I, where I wanted to get to way, way before me and you beat me to the punchline, but yes, okay. So I think you answered that then. And, and my question stemmed from sometimes I, as you said, I find poetry nowadays when I, when I read the old bandishes, the old paramparat bandishes, I find them so difficult to listen to, so difficult to understand. They're very sweet sounding. But I just don't understand what they're saying and they have no, even if I understand, they have very little relevance to me. So my escape from this, and that was my intuition, my escape from this is why can't we actually recreate the instrumental style of presentation in vocals? And that would be very similar to what you're saying right now, which is ala and nomto, um, maybe maybe even jala, like how the, you know, the jojala is the instrumental, and then moving on to a tarana exposition as opposed to poetry infused exposition of Kayal. And that and, and that was my that was my intuition to, to leading up to that question. Since you mentioned the word jala, actually if if you find uh, a, a, a let's say a prolonged uh, Drupad singing, the last part of that first segment of Alap and Nomto, the last segment, and I would refer you to any of the well-known Drupad singers, particularly Uday Bhavarkar, name comes to my mind, good friend of mine. And if you listen to him, in the last five minutes or 10 minutes, the, the nomtom is then taking such a high speed. It's a very high speed nomtom. And that very closely resembles a jhala you might hear in Sarod or Sitar. Okay? So yes, uh, this actually is found at the end of the alap segment of a drupad, like a jhala. Like a jala, yes. Like jala, indeed, yeah. And but um, you could stop there, and your point is, you could stop there, and that's that. That's the completion of my rag. This is possible, yes. Yes, no, and I, I think I think you understand the intuition where I was coming from. Over the course of the discussion today, Arunji, we've discussed the concepts of raga grammar and how to stick to it when it's important to bring out the beauty of the rag through the grammar, but how also can deviate from the grammar of the rag, either in a premeditated or ad hoc fashion, to expressly bring out a different perspective of beauty, latent in the rag, but perhaps not explicitly made clear in the grammar. And this is primarily because the grammar of the raga and the idea of fidelity to raga is very loosely defined in our musical system. And that's a good thing and a bad thing as most things are in such cases. A natural drawback would be perhaps that it would be hard to communicate these loose definitions to posterity, to the next generation of musicians. However, one of the benefits is musicians such as geniuses like Srimati Kishori Amankarji can take liberties with the chassis of the rag, with the foundation of the rag, but still preserve some elements of spirit or the beauty, the ras, the heart of the raga. Also, we discuss the point of compositions, the point of the relevance of compositions in the 21st century. While many of these compositions were intended for an audience of the 19th, 18th, 17th, 16th century, and so on back in time, some of these compositions really perhaps might not have a suitable home in today's world. And I think we will pause our discussion here for right now, Arunji, and we will pick it up in part two, continuing our conversations. Thank you very much. This is Oxcala Podcast.